I'm Kyla Northcutt. Welcome to the Kids Learn Career Show. Each week, I ask a different person about their job so you can know what your options are out in the world. My guest today is Josh Dawn, who co-founded Ad Astra School with Elon Musk at SpaceX, the executive director at Astronova School, and the co-founder of Synthesis. Josh, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. First off, for the people listening who don't know, can you tell us just a little bit about what each Ad Astra School, Synthesis, and Astronova are? Sure. So Ad Astra was a school at SpaceX for six years. Mm-hmm. It started in 2014, and we left campus in 2020. Uh, that school is now Astronova School, and it's fully mm-hmm. online. It's mostly for middle school kids, so ages you know, 10 to 14, roughly. Yeah. And when I was running Ad Astra at SpaceX, I taught this class called synthesis mm-hmm. and the idea was helping kids like make tough decisions in teams. And so I ended up designing lots of different games for synthesis at Ad Astra. And I started a company called synthesis with someone that I met uh, at my time uh, at the school. And that's now uh, a company called synthesis. So kids come together from around the world to play complex games. So and those are my three, uh, my three jobs. Yeah. basically. Yeah. That's really cool. I'm a mentor member of synthesis and I love it. So I could definitely imagine how cool it would be to be able to go to Ad Astra or Astronova. Yeah. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad that you're in it. It's pretty awesome to design games as part of my day. So, uh, it's, yeah, it's kind of amazing. So I, am basically the principal of a school and a game designer. Those are the two things that I spend most of my time doing. Yeah. That sounds really cool. So can you share a bit more about your background with us? Like, how did you end up co-founding Ad Astra School and then help start Synthesis and also turn Ad Astra into Astronova? Yeah, so I, I did a program when I graduated college called Teach for America, where you commit to teach two years in schools that um, generally need teachers. So I taught in Las Vegas. And when I moved to Los Angeles after a few years of Teach for America, I got this job at a school called Merman School for Highly Gifted Children Mm -hmm. in Los Angeles. And I met Elon there my second year of teaching. And Mm -hmm. he invited me to SpaceX and asked if I wanted to start a school. So Mm -hmm. of course I said yes. And that school became Ad Astra. Mm -hmm. And um, and yeah, so I guess that was really the kind of how it all it all came to be. And then over those years, you know, the goal was always to do something a little bit different. There was no reason to have a school at SpaceX that looked and felt like every other school. So it was always important to me that we tried to do things in an experimental way. And the only way to do experimental things is to be willing to change and try, try new things. And that's really where synthesis came from was just this maniacal experimentation of trying to find better ways to spend time. So if you think about, you know, if someone asked you to like start a school, mm-hmm. usually you're constrained by what your school experience has been like or what you think must be part of school. But I think one mm-hmm. of the great things about Elon is that he frees you from having to think in the conventional way. So really you get to start from scratch. Like, well, what, it's not even so much like what's a school. It's like, well, how would we spend time with these kids given, you know, these number of hours and the space that we're in and what would be the coolest stuff we could do? And if we are not sure if we can do it or not, like what's holding us back. So I would say that that's how the school really evolved was through that type of thinking. Yeah. That's a great story. Thanks for sharing. Sure. Yeah. So when did you really start noticing your passion for doing education differently and then turn that passion into reality by starting these three schools? 
one of the things that really struck me when I was a young teacher was just how much time you have in front of students. So mm-hmm. in my first school, there are 33 fifth graders that I was teaching. And for those of us that go, you know, went to elementary school, you're with your teacher for most of the day, you know, there's mm-hmm. lunch and lunch isn't super long. And then there's a recess and there's a special most days. Mm-hmm. So art or music or PE, but largely you're just with your teacher. So what I started to do is to try to create little breaks in the day where we try to do things a little bit differently. So this is a project that's called conundrums that I've mm-hmm. shared through glass dojo. They're, they've been viewed millions of times. Uh, but I tried to just create really tricky, thorny questions and try to pose those in a way where everyone could answer the question without needing to do a ton of background research or lots of reading. I felt like school was sometimes can be like the waiting place. You're just waiting for things to happen. So I just wanted things to just move more quickly. So in designing things like conundrums in the early days, it became a little bit of an obsession where I just really liked designing new things and even things that weren't very good. It was still it was still better to have designed it not to be very good than giving out yet another worksheet. So mm-hmm. that's where I kind of <laughs> developed this love of, of, uh, of making new things and trying to always improve them. And I think that really served me well. Yeah, I definitely like doing things differently than what you'd normally do at school. Yeah. Yeah. So what are one of the, some of the biggest setbacks you experienced while making these schools a reality? Well, let's see. Um, Ad Astra early on was really small. So it was just like nine kids. And one of the hard things about having such a small school is convincing new people to join it. And it might feel like, oh, well, of course, like this is, you know, Elon and, and SpaceX. And of course, people would be you know, really eager to get in. And like that was sort of true uh, and became more true over time. But in the early days, when you only have nine kids, it's difficult to leave a school if you're mostly happy to move to a school that doesn't feel a whole lot like a school. It feels like a homeschool share or like a bunch of kids just kind of getting together and doing school. It mm-hmm. felt more like we were playing school than actually doing school in this first, uh, the first like year or two. So that was a real challenge is like convincing kids to, to come to Ad Astra at first and also to you know, make sure that it was sufficiently challenging. We had some really mm-hmm. advanced students and some students that were, you know, probably not, you know, not as advanced in certain areas. So mm-hmm. when you have kids in, that are 10 years old doing calculus and other 10 year olds that are not really ready for pre-algebra, that's a pretty wide range to offer. Mm-hmm. And when you have just a small number of people involved in the school, you have to be willing to do a lot of different things. So that was definitely one of the big challenges. Um, and then I'd say synthesis, I mean, one of the big challenges of synthesis is communicating what synthesis actually is. Right. So synthesis is the idea where like you kind of fuse all of this, all of the learning together to make real decisions and to reflect mm-hmm. those decisions. And sometimes for, for people who have, you know, have never heard of, of me or the schools or anything else, it's not always clear what that is. So I think a real communication challenge around what synthesis is, is part of it. And then how you go from just an ordinary kid into something that we call like a super collaborator, like how does that happen? And how do you make that path clear? Uh, those are some of the great challenges of synthesis. Yeah, that seems like you've had a lot of hurdles to overcome. It must have taken a lot of perseverance and grit to keep going, even when it was hard. What made you keep trying? I think when you really believe that something can be better, and if you really believe that you have 
the potential to make it that way, even just for another person, let alone for all of education or for the world. I think you really owe it to yourself and to others to put that effort in. So, you know, and you can only, at least in my mind, do that if you're willing to be vulnerable and to put yourself out there a little bit and design things that aren't very good or, you know, some of my my harshest critics have been my students, you know, I design a game and some team figures out how to win that game within 10 minutes. And I had thought that it was going to take eight weeks for them to figure it out. It's a pretty humbling exercise where you're really thrown off. So um, I think it's just the two things like needing, like believing that there, that you can really make progress and make things better. And then understanding like who you are and what you can contribute. And then also being willing to, to actually receive feedback and make course corrections. It's really hard because your ego is so much tied up in your success that it's easier to just ignore the things that you don't want to hear when in fact, the things that you don't want to hear, especially when it comes to people you care about, like in my case, Mm -hmm. my students, that that's, those are the voices that you should actually listen to most, even if it's painful. Yeah. that, That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Now a word from our sponsor. Looking for a way to start making some good money this summer? Start a neighborhood recycling business picking up extra plastics that can't go in your curbside recycling bin, but can be recycled at multiple locations throughout your city. I started doing this over a year ago and make about $150 a month for about an hour's worth of work. I don't know about you, but that's way more than my normal allowance. I even teamed up with my good friend Micah and created a course that teaches you exactly how to create a business like this yourself. Check out kidsgreenteam.com for more information. Okay, let's get back to the show. Once a student graduates from high school, what should they be able to do in order to be ready for college or joining the workforce? I think that the biggest misunderstanding is that school equals education. So there's a lot of blame in the world for schools not doing what we believe they should be able to do. But I think the earlier you recognize in your life that your education is not just something that school gives you. It's something that you actively work on, on your own, that you find things you're interested in. And there's never been more resources that you can dive into on your own. Uh, Once you internalize that and think about the power that that unlocks, I think that when you, you know, graduate high school or, or, or turn 18, that you're pretty capable because you've hopefully found the things that really make your heart sing. And if you've done that, then you will find other people who feel similarly and hopefully can find a way to, to work on that thing as much as possible in your life. So um, in terms of the skills, I would say just the ability to, to learn, that's really important. I would say the capacity to know what you care about and why would be another one. And then the final one would be how does take a step in the right direction? So you might not know what to do ultimately or how to get there, but if you can just take like the next logical step, that can really take you a long way. So if you want to be a video game designer, as an example, um, you know, you might not know how to ultimately, you know, fill that position or, or you might not be there yet technically or whatever else, but if you can take the, the most logical step in the right direction, that sometimes that will get you to a higher vantage point, at which point then you can know what the next best step will be. So I suggest keeping things simple and uh, try to keep moving forward. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So how can students in a traditional learning environment acquire those skills? 
Well, I think that's what's helpful about thinking outside of what school or what a sort of a traditional learning environment gives you. We, we all are living in a non-traditional learning environment. And yet I don't even know that how traditional any learning environment is just, you know, things change over, over mm-hmm. time. So maybe just recognizing the strengths of this learning ecosystem that we're part of, the opportunities to learn and to be challenged and to engage with other people and try to be, I think taking some ownership over like what more you can do and, and who you can reach out to and what conversations will help give you better perspective on what's out there in the world. And obviously listening to this podcast would be one of the ways to do that, that all of those things are, are really helpful in determining what your next step might be, regardless of what kind of schooling environment you're in. Yeah, that's a great idea. I know most people don't have access to Ad Astra, Astronova, or a synthesis, so that's really helpful. Thanks for sharing. Of course. Yeah, so what advice do you have for young people who are super passionate about something but aren't quite sure what to do next? Well, uh, that's a great question. Uh, Sometimes you might be super passionate about something and the pathway to that passion is just finding other people that are passionate about it too. Like it may not be the thing that you're, you know, wanting to spend your life doing. Um, I think one thing that's pretty helpful though, is trying some problems on for size. (laughs) And what I mean by that is, you know, you might not know what an avionics engineer at SpaceX does, or really like what a lawyer does day to day, or you might not know what you know, like a a general manager of a construction company might do, but, you know, when you kind of go through the different possible lives that you could live, I think if you start with like, what are the challenges that those people are trying to solve? Because regardless of what you do in life, like you're going to be working through different challenges. doesn't matter what kind of business you own. You're working through challenges. doesn't matter what level of company you work at. You're working through challenges. Think about the types of challenges that you really enjoy and you can really sink your teeth into. And I feel like that in some ways is a guiding light into what you know, kind of like where to go next. And I think training yourself as much as possible to, to savor in complexity, like actually enjoy seeing a challenge that might not be the one that you're going to be motivated to work on or solve, but at least to appreciate uh, how it may be really difficult to run a hair salon as an example. Like if you really think about, if you, even just when you drive around uh, or just even think about different professions, if you try to dive into the challenges those people are working on in their, in their professional lives. It may help point a light as to what types of problems. Yeah. That you like, so structured, unstructured, you know, problems that require creative solutions, problems that don't have solutions and you have to be working on those. Um, is it the type of work where it's not so much that there aren't solutions. It's that knowing like what solution works best for that situation. I think looking through the lens of the problems that you're going to solve is probably a better guide as to what profession might work for you than the profession itself, just by name alone. These people will be more than happy to tell you like, oh, you should be an accountant because you like numbers. Like, I don't know, maybe, but do you want to be solving the types of problems that an accountant is solving? That's a better question. Yeah, that's really good advice. It can be really hard to get started if you don't have good instructions. In our family, we talk a lot about just doing the next right thing. And a lot of times it's just a guess on what to do next. Um, That's a lot for me, Um, but it's better than doing nothing. Totally. Yeah, so this one is borrowed from Tim Ferriss, a bestselling author and one of the top podcasters in the world. 
What is one of the best or most worthwhile investments you've ever made? I have been incredibly fortunate to be able to work from home in the last few mm-hmm. years. And so investing time that would usually be spent in traffic has now translated to a time that I can spend mostly with my two young kids, Eames and Fox, and my wife, Maggie, and also on the problems that I think are going to have the greatest impact, which are the you know problems I'm trying to solve at Astronova and Synthesis. And they're not problems that are ever really solved. They're just trying to make headway on creating better learning experiences for kids. So both programs really, both companies are like an, ex, you know, they're experiments and they may not end up being much of anything, but I um, am tremendously grateful that I've been able to invest my time in them. And I can only do it because I'm not spending time in, in LA traffic mm-hmm. wasting away. So those additional couple hours I get every day, I've been able to reinvest in the things that I care most about, which is like the things I work on and the people I love most. Yeah, that's a really good investment. So yeah. was there a time in your life where you felt like you completely failed at something, but it ended up helping later on in life? Yeah. You feel, you know, failure of different types sort of all the time, you know, and there's a lot of imposter stuff, right? Where you wonder if this is, if you're like the right person or if you know enough or smart enough or Mm -hmm. clever enough and working for Elon, I think can really make you feel that a lot. You know, there's a lot that Elon Musk is capable of, and there's a tremendous amount that he's accomplished, you know, more than most people Mm -hmm. uh, or most teams across many lifetimes do. So, um, I think that I, I learned, I think the hard way how important it is to to really like think through everything. There was an example in the early days of of Ad Astra where we were wondering like where the school should be located. And it wasn't really clear because like we ended up at SpaceX ultimately, but before that it wasn't clear that that would make sense. And there's a lot of legal issues, you know, a school at a rocket factory doesn't make a ton of sense. Mm So Elon was like, well, just go figure it out. Like go figure out like where the school should be located. And so my original response, not to him, but to myself was, what do I know about real estate? How am I supposed to decide this? That's not like my responsibility. But then you realize that actually it's every, like, it's all your responsibility. And if it's, if you're going to run the school, you have to figure out problems that aren't in the normal, you know, my way, when you might think of like principal problems. So what I, the lesson that I learned the hard way is that I went out, looked at a bunch of different places and I didn't like any of them. Mm-hmm. They were all wrong for different reasons, right? Some were too big, some were too small. Some had neighbors, like, like doctor's offices. And it felt like that probably wouldn't be a good fit next to a school where things can get really loud, mm-hmm. uh, you know, all these different things. And so what I did though, is it was like, okay, well, the search is over. I guess I should share the results of my search. And so I sent Elon the, you know, six options. And it was basically like, all right, here are the six options. And I presented them in like a really nice way. Here are kind of the pros and the cons. And what Elon said essentially was, well, like, which, like, which option do you think is best? And I was like, well, 
I mean, none of them really. Like, I mean, I guess if you know we could do this one, but it's like too big. But basically what he was saying is like, you haven't actually thought it through and you don't believe in any of these options. So why are you giving me these options? Like why find more options, like find better options, like find options you believe in. Because don't just give me this false choice between garbage, essentially. You need to do the work to actually believe in something enough to present it to me because I don't have as much context as you do on this problem. And also I'm really busy. So that was a really like tough thing to, to feel. It's just kind of that wrath of someone telling you that they're, you're, you know, you're wasting their time. Mm-hmm. And I think in that way, um, it really helped clarify that sometimes we do these, we kind of hedge or we make these compromises and what's, what's better is, is really to take the time to figure out like what it's like something you really believe in and not just to thinking that, well, because someone asked you to do it, if I just like satisfy those conditions, like that will be enough. If you really want to take ownership over something, if you really want to have, you know, power in, in your, in your life, like at some level you have to take responsibility for it. So anyway, I think that was a, a good example of a time where I felt pretty embarrassed for the way that I'd gone about trying to solve a problem. And it helped me identify like what more I could do to make real headway on a problem and ultimately express my own viewpoint about what's best before sharing it with someone like Elon. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So is there a person in your life, like a parent, grandparent, teacher, coach, or mentor that made a huge impact on you? If so, in what way? And would you like to give that person a quick shout out? Sure. I mean, I think I would be remiss without uh, shouting out like the artistic influences in my life. I was really fortunate to grow up with parents that would take the time to draw with me, you know, like just take that like extra little bit of time to, you know, I don't know, like put creative ideas, like things that are in your mind, like put them on paper and just like sketch mm-hmm. things. And for my dad, it was usually, you know, battle scenes from, from like mm-hmm. really into war. I don't know, like military history. And for my mom, it was all sorts of scenes. Like and my, my grandfather and um, Pap-Pap would always draw, I don't know, like Western Pennsylvania, you know, scenes on, on the, in the countryside. And mm-hmm. I don't know, I, just, I think that that was a really important part um, of my life is just knowing that you can create something. And even if that thing is just a, is a sketch and you're not going to put it on the refrigerator or frame it, just always try to be creating new things and seeing things in a different way. So that would be my, my shout out to my parents and to my, my grandfather. Yeah, that's great. Thanks. Welcome. Yeah. So knowing what you know now, would you have done anything differently growing up? Growing up? Yeah. Yeah. I would have read even more. Keep reading. Gosh, there's nothing yeah. more important. I read all the time. I still do. But as a kid, I, I read a lot and I wish I would have done more of it. I wish also that I, that I, um, I don't know. I wish I had spent like more time with ideas mm-hmm. and places where ideas are, are allowed. And I think I spent a lot of time a lot, a lot, a lot of time playing baseball in my life and, and other sports too. And that's great for, for many reasons. But if I could take back some of that time spent in, in cold Ohio fielding ground balls and spend it engaging with ideas or other like interesting people, I, I would definitely have done that um, because I don't, you know, it's really great that I can throw a fastball, but I would have really benefited from hearing diverse perspectives 
when I was younger, because I think I would have maybe seen the world in a different way. And it helps protect you in some ways from people, you know, just being so easily swayed into one thing or another. Mm-hmm. So those, those would be my, uh, I wouldn't call them regrets, but if I could, if I could do parts of it again, I would, I would, uh, I would do that. Yeah. I wonder what would happen if you were able to go back and change that. It's a hard, it's a hard thing because you can, you know, you're so grateful for everything that you've been given. And, and I'm, I would not trade my, my life for, for any other possible life. I am really, really fortunate. I have a lot of people to thank for that. Um, but I don't know. There's nothing like engaging with ideas. And if you, you know, there's something that's amazing about learning, honestly, in school, it can be a place of great learning. It's not something that should just be just totally dismissed. And when you are, when you're a kid, you have the ability to do that without necessarily having to worry about it. Like it's the best use of your time. You can read whatever you want to read and you can still read whatever you want to read as an adult, but you're always in the back of your head. I'm wondering, should I be reading more books on game design rather than reading, I don't know, like Ulysses or something, but Mm -hmm. That's a different, that's a different conversation. Yeah, that makes sense. So what's the best advice you have for young people who want to be successful in life and in the work? Read. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, it, that's the most important thing is read widely. Um, you don't have to finish every book you start. I was one of those people that had to read every word. And if I didn't finish a book, I felt like I'd failed. You do not mm-hmm. need to do that. It's far too much in the world that you will probably never get to but um, read widely and, and consume widely, right? Like there are all sorts of really interesting things on, on YouTube and other places and find what really interests you. And like, what are you, what do you wanna learn more about? And I think also be really clear about what, when time is being used in like a nutritious way versus when you're just, I wouldn't say like wasting time because I don't think it's mm-hmm. the worst time, but when you're not doing something that's as nutritious and like, that's totally fine. I spent a lot of time playing Warcraft two as a kid. <laughs> And I, I think it actually had like a real influence on me. I played a lot of Stratego and other and Risk and other and chess and games like that. So mm-hmm. I would say play more games, read more widely, and don't be so hard on yourself when you spend some time doing stuff that's just flat out fun. But don't always, but don't confuse it always for, uh, you know, something something more than that. You're you're allowed to take that time to do something mindless and play like paperclip, paperclip, clip, clicker, or something. You know? Yeah, I, I love reading. It's like one of my favorite things to do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so yeah. Before we wrap up, where can people listening find out more about you, Astronova or Synthesis? Sure. So for Astronova, just astronova.org is best. Mm-hmm. Uh, Conundrums can be found on Class Dojo's website or on Astronova's YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. And Synthesis, more information can be found at synthesis.is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll include those links in the show notes. Perfect. Great. So thanks again for being here, Josh. Josh, it was really great to have you as a guest. I appreciate it, Kyle. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, thanks. Now it's time for the joke of the day. What kind of jewelry do rabbits wear? Not sure. 24 karat gold. (laughs) Classic. Thanks. Thanks again for joining us on the Kids Learn Career Show. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and tell your friends. See you next time.